I am going to try my hardest, and there's a, there's a mental block in my brain, uh, to not try to talk loudly. I have an excessively loud voice, my wife tells me all the time. Um, and yet, I know that there are people doing studies on either side of these very thin walls. And so I'm going to try to keep my voice not so loud. Um, except, right now, we're going to start together. And I need you to stand for this first piece. So if you would stand with me. We'll start our time together hearing from God's book in His words as we focus our attention around the topic in which we're going to study today. And so say these words after me. In a desert place he found them. In a desert place he found them. In a howling wasteland. In a howling wasteland. He cared for them. He cared for them. Protected them. Protected them. Guarded them. Guarded them. And he kept them as the apple of his eye. And he kept them as the apple of his eye. Pray with me, please. Father, we pray that that might be true today still that you might seek us and that you might find us as you, as king of all things, still continue to pursue your people, pursue us today. May we then be found in you, and in doing so, care for us, protect us, and keep us. As we live out this endeavor of being your servants, serving the children that are put in our care, and in doing so, building a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in your resurrected name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, in a desert place, he found them. God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to find his people in the desert. The desert is hard. The desert is hot. And so, God chooses a particular place to meet with his people. So often you hear the language of, in the wilderness, the people, God's people, wandered for 40 years. I understand what's being said there, but I don't think it's a helpful language to use. God's people never wandered. They were led. Remember, that's how the story goes. God puts a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire before the people, and in there, in the wilderness... In the desert places, God leads his people. And while he's leading them those 40 years, he's doing something very intentional with them. He's causing them to trust. He's showing his people that he's trustworthy and faithful and that he will always provide for his people. I think sometimes I need that remembrance in my daily life too in the endeavor of Christian education. Sometimes I feel like I'm wandering, like real bad on some days, when it's that email that wakes me up in the middle of the night of a complaint of a parent, and I'm just like, what am I even doing out here? I'm just out here wandering in the wilderness. Or the student who you've been trying so hard to get through, you think there's a glimmer of light, and then suddenly the door slams shut again, and you're like, what am I doing here? Am I just wandering? And yet, it's in those spaces God always seems to humble me and say, I'm with you. I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. I'm keeping you as the apple of my trust me in all that I am doing in and through you and in the places that I have put you. 
and being led always, so too were God's people. I think that reminds me, right, of the, our theme at the convention here this year, establish the work of my hands. So often, I think the work of my hands that I'm doing is just like, am I making a difference at all? And I always need to remember, I just got to trust God. That this moment, this conversation, this relationship, this hard piece that we're all working on together will bear fruit if I keep my roots down deep and durable enough into the spring of living water that is Jesus. So establish the work of our hands. I pray that this sectional, that even in the little bit that we talk about, just might be a, a little step in that direction. That you might be filled with hope, even if you don't remember anything that we do. You're like, oh yeah, God is leading you. If you feel like you're in this desert today, know that God is leading you today. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. One of the things that we uh, decided to do was to launch this idea of celebrating Sukkot. And the idea started with Sheila, Doctor, and myself. This is Sheila over here. This is also Sheila right here. Um, and this is the, this was the second year we did it. And this is though uh, each of our firstborn children um, that we were able to then celebrate together. My son Judah there and, and uh, her daughter Jillian. And we were able to celebrate this together with our children, which was pretty special. Uh, Sheila, I had the wonderful opportunity to have her sit with and guide my son in first grade. Uh, last year, and I at the same time got to interact with Jillian as she was an integral part of the leadership team of our students at Holland Christian High School. Uh, and so this is my family. Uh, it's a hot mess right now in our days. Uh, we have four boys. Judah is seven, Abbott is five, Alonzo is three, and Peter, who's climbing out of the backpack thing on my back as I'm trying to stand on this big tree root at a hike that we took last Sunday, um, Pete is a one. And so my wife, Nikki, down in the bottom left corner, is, runs a program on the campus of Hope College called Ready for Life, which gives students with cognitive disabilities a four-year college experience. And she's amazing at her job in managing five boys. <laughs> you caught that. You caught that good. David, don't blink, because all of your little people in the picture before become this in just a snap. So this is my family. I'm Sheila Doctor. Nice to be with all of you today. I also, David, I laughed because I'm a loud talker, too, so poor people um, on the sides of us. Teacher problems. Teacher problems. Um, this is my husband teaches at Calvin Christian in Granville. So he's here at the convention with us. We, we um, date weekend for us, I guess. <laughs> we go to the convention. Um, these are our children, Tilly on the right, and then Tilly is at Cornerstone. She joined our family four years ago from the Congo. Um, so she's like a walking miracle that she's in college right now. And, and then this is our other daughter who graduated last year. She's spending a year in Africa. Um, she's working at Beautiful Gate. It's an orphanage and just um, blessing. Actually, she's, yeah, she went to serve, however, I think she's being served. You know how that goes. She's thriving. And then this is my daughter, Elena, my youngest. She's a sophomore this year at Holland Christian. So, Sukkot, what is this thing, right? So, oftentimes, you might read in the Bible, it's the Festival of Tabernacles. 
Um, that's probably not a great title. The Hebrew word for tabernacle is mishkan. Uh, that's not what's said here in this portion of scripture. When it gives the instruction of what to do, uh, he uses this word sukkah or sukkot, which is plural, or sukkah, one, booth. So probably best called the festival of booths, um, which is a great plural word to say. Um, and yet, so not, it, has nothing, it has nothing to do with the tabernacle or the temple, which I think using some of that language, again, can make confusion in our own minds, or at least we can pretend it's just really confusing for the little ones. So it's better to change that. And it's amazing what happens uh, when we look at translations and how those translations have formed a reality for us. It was interesting, on our way up here uh, uh, to CEA, I was talking in the vehicle with a couple of my colleagues, one that teaches, uh, they're, well, they're both Bible teachers at high school, but one teaches an introduction to Bible class um, for us, for basically students who come into the system uh, without any Bible education. Uh, so sometimes that's exchange students, sometimes it's people that move into town, sometimes it means it's somebody just joined Helen Christian and Christian Ed for the first time. And so instead of throwing them into you know, what would be higher level Bible classes because these kids have been learning it for, you know, eight years, suddenly we created this new class. Well, anyway, someone in the translation into Mandarin Chinese in the Bible decided that the students told the teacher the other day, oh, did you know that God, in the Old Testament, Jehovah, as it's translated in their Bibles, has the same last name as Jesus in in the Mandarin Chinese Bible. And he's like, no, I did not know that. But someone in the translation work decided to make a connection between the God of the Old Testament and Jesus. Now, there is obviously a connection. We know that. But they made a translation, a theological decision to connect them very explicitly. So we need to know that oftentimes in the translation work that is being done, there are very explicit and or sometimes mistaken connections being made. So too is this festival of Sukkot. It has nothing to do with the tabernacle. And so if we call it the Feast of Tabernacles, it can inadvertently, I think, mislead or misguide. So we have decided to just use the actual term, Sukkot. Instead of calling it the festival of something else, it's Sukkot. That's what it is. For those of you language teachers, you know that well, right? Especially as I'm thinking about immersion teachers in the room, you know, let's not try to make associations, just let's learn what it is in the language. So let's just call it Sukkot, because that's what it is. So we'll call it Sukkot. Let's look first then at what is Sukkot. So I'm going to have um, one of the practices uh, that, uh, so I don't teach anymore. They're like, we got to get this guy out of the classroom. And so now I have this different badge, and that still makes me nervous as an administrator. And yet, uh, one of the practices that I would do, particularly when I taught Bible, is uh, when you would come in, I would have just written down a, a citation of a verse, and then students would have to take those, and they, they would be the voice of God in our class. And so I printed some out and handed it off to some of you earlier so that you can be the voice of God for us today. Um, and then, uh, so who has got Leviticus 23, 33 through 36? All right, go ahead, Eric. Tell us what Sukkot is. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. 
The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. Perfect. Thank you. So, God gives instructions here in Leviticus 23. This is where we find like all of the information about the festivals that God's people are going to celebrate here in Leviticus. My other colleague friend says, Leviticus is the most spiritual book in the Bible. And I think he's right. Uh, because Leviticus orients us of how to live right in this relationship with God. We, we read it differently sometimes in our Christian traditions. Um, I think that we we're missing something when we do that. And here it says, okay, on the, on the, we're going to start and have a seven-day festival. Actually, just this past Sunday was the last day of Sukkot, which is always followed by a holiday called Simchat Torah, which is the celebration of Torah. So that was Monday. Simchat Torah was Monday, this past Monday. Um, and so it says we have a seven-day festival. The first day is kind of a big day, and the last day is kind of a big day. Those, you're not supposed to do any work, like Shabbat, like Sabbath. Don't do any work. And you're going to have a celebration. That's what you're supposed to do. We're going to celebrate. Well, what, what, okay, that's the what of it. A, a big week-long celebration that God says we're supposed to do. Why? Why are we doing it? Who's got Leviticus 23, 32, uh, 42 to 43? Yeah, Emily, go ahead. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's the why. One very specific thing. So that your descendants might know. Some of you might know the Shema, this text that comes to us out of, out of Deuteronomy 6 that is the cornerstone of the faith. It is recited by the time Jesus is on the global stage within Jewish tradition. It is recited every morning and every evening. When Jesus is pressured to say, what's the, the biggest one? What's the one command out of the 613 that we're supposed to obey? What's the biggie? And he quotes this one, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Teach these things diligently to your children. Talk about them while you're at home, while you're walking along the way, while you lie down, while you rise up. Make for them a symbol and bind them on your foreheads and on your hearts. Inscribe them on your doorposts and on your gates. Right? Those are the words that Jesus would have said every single day. But this is how the text continues. It says, and when you enter into the land that has been promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, it will be filled with great goodly cities that you did not build, storehouses filled that you did not fill, olive groves and vineyards planted that you did not plant, cisterns hewn out that you did not hew. And when you have eaten your fill, take heed, lest you forget your God who brought you out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, you're going to go into the promised land. And when you're there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to forget. You're going to forget. So, because I know that, God says, because I know that there's something in your bloodstream that is going to forget everything that I've done for you, I'm going to create some systems of remembrance. Sukkot is a system of remembrance. I am going to have you just like I had my people do for 40 years as I led them in the wilderness. 
I'm going to have you live on a temporary shelter. So maybe, just maybe, if you do it for a week, you'll remember what I have done for you. As I took you out of Egypt, I led you in the wilderness, and I became your God, and you became your people. Because it's there in the desert that God found us. In a howling wasteland. He kept us. He cared for us. That's who our God is. He says, so don't forget. Don't forget. So what are we supposed to do? Who's got Leviticus 23, 40? Yeah, what do you got? On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So I love this about our God. All right, he says, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to take, lakak is what the Hebrew word is, you're going to take some, some branches, some willow, some uh, palm, and other luxuriant leafy trees. Lovey doesn't give very specifics. He's like, figure it out. Just, you, you need to figure this out. You need to know me so well that you know what I mean. It's almost like if, if I'm uh, at Menards, you know, in a place that I don't go eight times a week. And right outside the Menards in Holland is a Starbucks. And so sometimes, as I'm walking out of Menards, I'll text my wife, hey, you want anything from Starbucks? And she'll text back, yep. <laughs> and I better know. <laughs> and I do. But how? Because we've been married now for 12 years. Yes. For 12 years. And I should know that. So when God says, take this one, this one, and some others, we should know what he means. Because we've been walking. Because for 40 years we spent time out there in the desert being led. And he, we walked together. And he taught us things. And so I need to know. Now we'll share later what those things are. What they determine those things are. But I love how God leaves some of those. Like That's what I love about reading scripture. Is that there's so many like mysterious things in there. That God's like, yeah, cool. And I'm like, wait, no, no. Like, my Western mind freaks out. I'm like, no, no, tell me what the answer is. I know how to do it. And I can check it off the box. And I know I'm doing it right. And I'm a good Christian. Phew, phew, I'm going to heaven. And God's like, no, that's not really how I work. Let's, let's do this thing together. Right? So that's, that, that's just Sukkot in general, right? Like a 30,000 foot view of what is the Jewish celebration of Sukkot. By the way, if you were to have gone to Israel, Eric just got back, just missed the High Holy Days, which is why he had to get back before the High Holy Days, because it's a hot mess in Israel, in Jerusalem at the time. This is what you would have seen in Jerusalem. They're still doing it today. This is like the neighborhood, right? Like, this is a road. That's not a laser. Where's the laser? Oh, there it is. This is a road for cars. Not during Sukkot. It's not... God said, do this. He never said, stop doing it. Now, sometimes, maybe it's you, maybe it's me. I look at this and I'm like, what a bunch of legalists. But, like, like really, this is ridiculous. But i got to get to my house. Like, it, it, what's the symbolism behind it? And they're simply saying, God said to do it. What on earth would give us the audacity to say that I don't need that anymore. 
This is the neighborhood of Mer Sharim. Just, I mean, you're, we're a stone's throw from the old city walls of Jerusalem. This, they still do this. So we thought, maybe we should too. Maybe we should teach our students to live this kind of remembrance. To learn what it's like to go through the effort of maybe making a sukkah, a booth, and also practicing some of the same practices that still today the, one, the, the people would be doing in their sukkahs, and also what Jesus would have done. Jesus would have, every single year of his life, gone to Jerusalem to live like this. Because you're commanded to. It's one of the three pilgrimage festivals. So Jesus would have come to Jerusalem and done this. That's awesome, I think. Like we're doing things Jesus did. Like that's pretty rare that we can say we do that. Except when we love one another. Right? Okay. So okay. So let's let's talk about that. Sheila's gonna talk about this. Yeah. Oh, totally want this. Do I just <laughs> Yeah, just put that arrow. Alright. So I teach first grade and David's the director of our faith formation and I thought, okay, let's do this together. How do we do it? And what is Sukkot? I didn't know, so I learned much of what you just learned today, or maybe were reminded of just a couple of years ago. So we got together, and we, David, I, our principal, um, my teaching partners, and we sat around the table and thought, how do we take these big ideas of Sukkot and teach them to students? So we were teaching them to first grade students. So whatever grade your students are, though, you could do the same thing. It just your posters might look better. <laughs> but <laughs> we decided to take the big, the six big ideas and then um, teach into them. So we started with trust. What we did with those six big ideas is we started with family groups. And we thought, well, we'll take each section of our kids and put them into a family group. And as they're in these family groups, they would eat together, pray together. These groups would build their sukkah together. This group of kids would be responsible for that section, excuse me, section of the teaching. So we began with trust. We began with trust specifically because Sukkot is a festival where we are learning about a trustworthy God. And we needed to teach them the big ideas of what Sukkot is. So we started right in the desert. We said when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, they needed to learn that God was a God who would provide for them, and he did. We talk about manna from the rock and water, or excuse me, manna from heaven and water from the rock, and we talked about how God led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night, and we talked about how there were no hotels, like none. Mm -hmm. I'm in that line someplace of travelers, and the desert is, this is what it looks like. It is the desert. So they built temporary shelters when they were there for 40 years. Well, when the Israelites were leaving the desert and heading into the promised land, that's when God gave these instructions. When you get into the land, the land of plenty, you need to remember. You need to continue to trust me because it will be me who still provides for your needs. But you also need to remember where you came from. I'm a trustworthy God. I provided for you then. It's going to be me providing for you again. So we directly teach into that with our, with, I taught into that with my first graders. We even started with Legos, building little sukkahs. Um, with Legos, they have the natural materials on top. We'll get into that. 
But so I show them pictures of sukkahs. I explain what we're doing, what God called the Israelites to do. Um, at the same time, then, when we actually got to our celebration, um, because what will happen is we teach about each of these big ideas, and then at the end, when they learn about hospitality, community, trust, all these big ideas, we gather together, and then they began. Each sukkah had a big theme because each family group made one then. And then these kids began our festival with teaching our guests about trust and what Sukkot really is. A little side note here, we'll share out this presentation with you when we're done. And like what they were reading here, they, they did not memorize their parts. We kind of decided what we wanted them to say together. Um, but what they're reading is all linked um, in, a, in the presentation later. So you can click on that if you decide to do something similar with your students. At least you have an idea, I mean, of what the kids could say as they're teaching about Sukkot. So we actually gathered everybody, taught about the festival, and then we actually celebrated the festival together. You'll see it kind of play out. Um, guys, this was neat because we're talking about a trustworthy God, but here we are at our celebration, and there's grandparents and parents. Part of our celebration was they could share the stories of God, and here they are speaking into the kids. Here's my story about a trustworthy God. I mean, our jobs are the best jobs in the world. In a Christian school, like we get to do this. Um, my grandfather is one of one of the people who taught me a lot about who a trustworthy God is. So when I see this happening, um, I guess this happens. I lose my words because it's so special to me. This happened because of community, um, which was our next big theme that we taught into. So when we sat kind of about the Two weeks before we actually had our actual celebration, during my Bible lessons or during devotions, I would speak into what Sukkot is. So when we started talking about community, um, we gathered this family group. Oh, I did this slide on purpose because if you don't have enough kids to, like let's say you want to do this, but you don't want to make six sukkahs or you don't have enough kids, to make that happen, you could combine some of the big ideas, which is what I did last year when I had a smaller class. So that was just a side note with this slide. Okay, back to community. Um, guys, I've been to the desert. It is hot in the desert. Um, it, there are no oak trees that provide shade for you. Um, in fact, when they, this is what's called a broom tree, but don't let that name fool you. It is a shrub. The nothing about that is like a tree. And I'm sitting under it with a friend of mine um, who's also the principal at Rose Park Christian right now. Her name is Miska. Um, and I'm sitting under this shrub with her, um, catching a little bit of shade from the heat. And you, you, you have to get really close. You have to dive under there. And it was cooler. There's some relief. Um, so when we think about community and we are teaching the kids about community, like, we need each other. But, like, when I look at this slide, like, we're in a literal desert right there, and we're getting a little bit of the shade from the heat. But, like, my life right now, I'm in a desert, just spiritually. Like, it's hard right now. Um, my brother-in-law passed away right before school started this year. 
Um, he was the advancement director at Han Christian. So my friends that are in this room knew him. Like we're missing him like crazy. And guess what? The desert is so hot. And I need my friend to provide a little shade with me. And a lot of times, guys, the shade that comes it, when you're in the heat of the desert, it comes through community, and it comes through God's people sitting with us and offering the shade. So we took this theme of community and doing this work together and, and actually needing each other, because wow, don't we need each other. And we, we brought it to the next level, and we asked the high school, some of the high school Bible students to come in and say, hey, would you be our community? I certainly couldn't get my first graders to drill. But I don't think your high school students should have drilled either, but no, they did. <laughs> I'm not sure that they were ready for either. But I'll tell you what, this was phenomenal. My kids wouldn't have been able to do it without their kids. So what a way to bring people together. Um, so they did. They came. The Bible classes came. We got cardboard from a local refrigerator company. David, I don't even know where he got the wood, but they did. Menards. They, Menards. <laughs> so we started building these sukkahs. Guys, the tops of our sukkahs, we actually, there's rules about how the top of the sukkah has to be made. Um, and so here we are. David, talk about the rules. So, so what's interesting is right, the Talmudic literature, which is all like the expounding on how we're supposed to live this law, gives very specific guidelines of what the sukkah is supposed to look like. And basically, they're supposed to be simple, but beautiful. It's like, oh, that's tricky. So the, you have to be able to put it up quickly, and it's come down quickly, but it also has to be beautiful. And the roof is to be made of natural uh, natural stuff, so it can't be like stuff that you like just like full-on sheets of OSB. It has to be natural, and it has to be see-through for two purposes. One, so you recognize that, again, as God is our shade at our right hand, it doesn't mean that it's all better. It doesn't mean that the sun is blocked out, but it will be just enough. Also, so you can see through it. So again, you're reminded that the roof is not your canopy, but God is. Right? It is God who protects us, not this roof that you have built with your own two hands, but you know, some OS, some 16th OSB from Menards. But instead, it's Oh yeah, I look up, oh yeah, God is my shade and my protection. So there's really specific ways in which we do it. So we did the same thing. Again, one of the teachers went to the woods and hacked down a lot of trees. <laughs> so we could true. Up. <laughs> Guys, expect this to happen too. Lots of cardboard, lots of kids. I mean, it was so fun. Here they are like in a box, a few yeah. of them. <laughs> Don't forget, that was probably Jesus. That's not, that was my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Like, we always think we have a but like, Jesus, as a six-year-old, would have been building a sukkah with Mary and Joseph and his little siblings. And yeah. they probably weren't always on task. Right? And that's not sinful. That's just what six-year-olds are. And like, this is the picture of our beloved Jesus. I love that. It was awesome, guys. I mean, I, I, it was quite remarkable to see and to experience. We got back to the classroom and wrote about it. It wasn't all perfect. I mean, this little boy is writing about how the wood fell on his head. So shoot, <laughs> that did happen. He was fine. <laughs> he has great illustration. <laughs> um, but even, like, look at this. I met Bill. 
Bill was one of them. My suka was cool. We played tap tag, and some of that did happen as they were finished. It was just first graders and high school kids playing together. Over here, I met Allie. She was nice. It was fun. I mean, guys, it was fun. Um, side note, great, great shared experience for writing um, common experience stories or language experience stories. Um, and then community, when we gathered, oh, did we gather. I mean, look at the community present. The kids, as, as we taught about each of these topics, we moved from suka to suka to suka. And so those groups of kids would speak about their topic of what they did, speaking about trust or community or prayer, which was another topic that we covered because it's a big piece of Sukkot. So prayer, I'm not joking, they make something called a lulav. And um, David, talk about this so, lulav. So uh, the Hebrew of the lulav actually means willow. Uh, uh, palm, sorry, it means palm. So it's the palm branch, it's called a lulav. And yet they call this whole thing a lulav. And this is again in keeping with uh, Leviticus 23.40, when it says, take the species. And so they've defined those things now to four species. It's the palm, the myrtle, the um, willow, and the etrog, which is a citrus-type fruit. It looks like a lemon. We, we used actual lemons, and um, an etrog at times in Israel today can go up to $2,000 to get one, right? To get a really beautiful one. Now, you can also get cheaper ones, but why would you want a cheap one to show God how much you love him? Say, we'll go to the bargain basement. Anyway. Side note. So what they do is they take these, just like God commanded, right? And then they shake them, because that's what God told them to do. They have to figure out what that means, though. So what they will do is they'll shake them. In essence, again, this is a, a, a festival of ingathering and celebration. So we're celebrating. We're giving thanks to God. And in the shaking, like it sounds like rain. We're, we're gathering the harvest. God must have provided just enough rain for the harvest to come. So we're saying thank you and do it again. Cedric, we trust that next year you will send rain again to the degree that we'll be able to celebrate you again next year. And so that's what we do. We, we're celebrating and we're taking, because God said take, and you actually take that etrog and you hold it next to it, and you shake. You actually shake in six different directions. You start with it here and you shake out. You shake left, you shake right, you shake behind, and you shake in front, and you come back to your heart. You know. We totally Lord. missed that. We right? shook, we shook like, Lord, save us. Bless you know, and that's it. So, this is it. so that's what you do every day, because that's what God says to do on day one, and every day. You do this in your sukkah. We'll nail that one. this year, David. No, 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 it's good, because there is. You heard at the last day of the celebration is the big one, the big celebration. And at the big celebration, you do that while you shake and you make that sound, right, of the rain. You say the words of the psalm of ascent in, in Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless your name. You, you sing psalms and you shake the lulav. Why? To remember, to remember, lest we forget the God who brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Don't forget. And we, again, in our cognitive Western thinking, think we can just think to remember. 
that they know, and I think they're right, we have to do something to remember. We need to do something to remember. So we do something. And we learn scripture. Lord, save us. Save us. Grant us success. Right? This is what we do. So, you I do say that. I absolutely love that. Because at first I thought that was silly. Like, what? We're going to shake some branches? But honestly, it connected to my heart, and it connected to the hearts of my students. It was in the doing, because we could talk about, like, you know, the, guys, don't make that roof too full. We need to be able to see that the God's provision can come down to us. The rain has to be able to get through. Guys, have it enough shade that you can remember that God is our shade. It's who led us. It's when the desert's so hot, he'll give us just enough. It was in the doing. I'm not kidding that my heart was changed in a way that um, that it wouldn't have been had we not actually done it. When the kids shook their little, to hold a microphone and a lulav was next to impossible. <laughs> so he's speaking his part, which I thought was the sweetest thing. <laughs> um, you guys, prayer also... You know, this whole prayer, asking for God, do again what you are capable to do, God. Do it again for us. We need you. You are who gives us our provision. We talk about that, and the kids actually teach about it. And then when we actually celebrate it, here comes grandparents and parents into the sukkahs to pray with the kids. It was special. Special. Um, worship, another huge part of Sukkot, obviously, but one of the ways that we did as we were preparing in our classroom is we wrote our own psalms of worship. I mean, read this, guys. God, your love is deeper than the sea. And Jesus, you died on the cross for us, and we love you, God. God, you're so good. You are your love. You love us so much, God. Thank you for forgiving. Thank you for something. Oh, thank you for our life, God. Thank you for our friend. You're our friend. These are, this is first grade work, and they are pouring out blessing. Your fifth graders, your sixth graders, they would do the same thing, just a different level of praise. Um, we worshiped, so when we were at our, um, at our actual festival, the music teacher had, she knew we were going to celebrate Sukkot, and we had invited parents and grandparents, and so she worked with our kids. She's singing songs of praise anyhow with them, so she joined in our festival, and when the kids taught about worship, they said Psalm 100 together. They said, we have songs of praise that we're learning. A few of the kids actually read their psalms that they made, that they wrote. So it was such a meaningful, worshipful time. Um, David, play just a little bit of this. Real high tech here. Was yeah. It just makes me smile. It was meaningful. It was meaningful. It was a meaningful time together. Um, Thanksgiving, we bless God. We teach the kids that it's a Thanksgiving festival. It's a, heart, it's a festival where they're praising God, thanking for him for his goodness and for his provision. So we made um, 
paper chains beginning in November. When the kids would come to school each morning, there would just be one link on their desk, and they would write a blessing. They would write either like a, God, you're so great, you are the most powerful, something like just a worshipful comment, or they would write, thank you, God, for, and then write a blessing in their lives. So then as we... As our chains became longer and longer, we used our chains to decorate our sukkahs because they had to be beautiful. And even now, if you go and look at sukkahs that are being made present day, they'll still use paper chains for decorating. Um, go ahead. Just are we, this was then the first great Thanksgiving celebration, right? So what maybe was something different in the past, instead of, we didn't do this and won't this coming year either, during actual Sukkot, maybe in the future hopefully we will, this was a piece that we added to say, what if our Bible curriculum was, was, was creating the, for, the really formative moment in our kids' lives around Thanksgiving? And so this became the big first grade Thanksgiving celebration uh, at Rose Park and at Southside, the two uh, elementary schools at Holland Christian. Um, so that's, again, a big piece of what Sukkot is, and then that's where we embedded it into the fabric of what we do is actually at Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving celebration where we invited parents and grandparents like you've seen um, to come in. Sorry. I'm so glad you noted that. In the past, we had done something with the Native Americans and pilgrims and had some sort of big celebration together along those lines. And I... I still intentionally taught about the Wampanoag people and still taught about, you know, the Mayflower and the Pilgrims coming, but the big formative celebration um, wasn't uh, children dressed as Native Americans or Pilgrims. And in fact, there were many reasons why we stepped away from that, many good reasons why, which if you have questions later, we could talk about that. But the teaching around the Wampanoag people, and that, that still happened. I still brought in artifacts from the Holland Museum. I still taught intentionally. But the formative, uh, the formative Thanksgiving moments were centered around Sukkot. Um, David, maybe if there's time later, you could teach about the flags because it's awesome. So I'll, we can talk about that later if there's time. Um, another thing we decorated, so... There, each child who made the sukkah, they decorated with like a poster um, inside their sukkah explaining what they were thankful for. Um, so there's pictures of their families in there, and then we, to make our sukkahs beautiful, we hung those up. Hospitality, huge part of Sukkot. Um, it's invitation. Our first inviting in was when we had the high school students come, and we had apples and, or I think donuts and cider inside of our sukkah. So we started with hospitality right away on that first day. That was our first meal in our sukkah. We invited um, our grandparents and parents to come to our festival with us. So all ways of teaching into hospitality. And then we literally had a huge meal at our festival. Our, our David helped to get our kitchen staff on board. David, why did we pick the foods we picked, because we literally, I was going to bring you dates, by the way. Sorry, I forgot them. But I was going to, does that count? But dates were a very traditional food at, the, at Sukkot. So yeah, talk about how these foods were chosen. So if you were to walk down that street of the picture that I showed you earlier today, or not today, because it's done, but last week, uh, you wouldn't make it to the second Sukkah without being invited in. You cannot 
not invite people. That's like one of the rules. You have to invite. If there's someone outside, they have to be welcomed in. Like, when have I ever done that in my home? Right? Like, people walk by all the time. And I'm like, you! You're coming in. I, like, literally, this happened to me. I, I lived in Israel uh, in 2001, and we were hiking from the Dead Sea back to Jerusalem. And we happened across some Bedouins' land. And, boy, oh boy, it took us four hours to get out of that tent. And I swear they were going to kill the fattened calf for us Americans. Because they, they first had to make bread, and then coffee, and then tea. And then, I mean, it was like, every, like everything came out. Because we happened to be on land. So you are, you are now under our wings. You are our friends. Same is true still today in Sukkot. You have to come in. You are going to be cared for. You can be well fed, more, more than you want. And they eat what's similarly to this, right? It was, it was all kosher. Uh, so we all got all kosher food, and we got stuff that they would traditionally eat in the Middle East, right? So it's a lot of pita and hummus, and then we had uh, Moroccan lamb uh, sausage, we had tabbouleh salad, uh, <laughs> carrots, and, I mean, it was great. Dates, because that's always the sweetness and the sweetness of honey. That's the honey that they talk about in the, in the Bibles from the dates. Um, we so did we, put peanut butter and jelly on pita because I were versioning. So just saying. <laughs> but like, but like, let's try it. Let's, let's try it. What if we realize the foods yeah. that Jesus ate probably look nothing like what we eat? And that's right. not what we're saying. What we eat is bad or wrong. But what if we transport ourselves? Just a little more to say, what, what was this world that our Jesus lived? How can we better understand him, read him more accurately, right, within the text? If people wanted, they could eat right in the sukkah. But in order to make it seem as if they're eating in the sukkah because they're grandparents and and parents, like, we put tables kind of out from each sukkah, kind of extending out. So even when we did the presentation, they were sort of walking around tables, but we wanted them to get the feel of you were invited into the sukkah. So you guys could do that however you wanted, but this was special, just a logistics thing. We sent out like a kind of a survey saying, are you coming, how many, just so that we could have enough food for everybody. So there are these like behind the scenes type work, but even it says like, Specifically, what we're doing again, although they'd seen it in lots of places already prior to this, but here's what we're doing. Please come, and um, we're going to eat this Middle Eastern meal. Um, make every effort to attend. It may be good to downplay the menu for your first grader. I wrote it because I'm like, I want them to still be excited about the food. I mean, this was special, guys. And you know what? First graders tried things they wouldn't have necessarily tried. Um, hey, uh, those big themes of Sukkot, we kind of taught into all of them. We got to the end of all of the kids teaching about those, and then I just said, kids, well done. Thank you for sharing about Sukkot. Would you just sit for a moment while I talk with the moms and dads? Because listen in, guys. Make sure you listen in, but there's so much more. And then comes this next piece, because I'm going to say it to you. Listen in, guys because there's so much more to this festival. So, remember, Leviticus said it's a, a festival. On the first day, it's a big day, it's a big celebration. So too is the last day. The last day is called Hoshiana Rabbah, or the Great Hosanna. Right? That's what it's called, that's the last festival. And the tradition had started after the return from exile, 
um, and the rebuilding of the temple, that that would again all take place, as it always would have, at the temple, but a new ceremony started. And it's called the libation ceremony. Don't think libations. <laughs> libation. And what would happen is the high priest would go down to the Gihon Spring, the spring that gives water, the, the life water for the city of Jerusalem, would go down to the Gihon Spring and fill up a golden pitcher of water. He would take that, and as he would walk through the streets, and it's not far, but 450 yards from the Gihon Spring, up back up to the Temple Mount. It's then the people are waving the lulav, shaking them like the sound of rain, Right? And praying, save us, save us, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord, we bless your name. And as they're doing that, he would then go up to the altar where the lamb had been slaughtered for the remission of the sins of the people. He would raise that walk, pitcher of water up. He would pour it down on the water, uh, on the altar. Right? It's in, those, in that moment, we would know that God will, in the same way he sent rain then, will send rain again. He will always replenish the earth with the water that comes from him. The water that comes from him is called living water. So Jesus, in John chapter 7, Jesus is up in the Galilee. And again, it's the law. Every native-born Jew is to go to Jerusalem. That's what Leviticus told us. So the time of Jesus, we're thinking somewhere, in, somewhere around two and a half million people here are in, uh, living at the, at the time of Jesus. So two and a half million people are going to go to a city that's about a mile around wall. And so they all show up. So again, it didn't look exactly like the picture that I showed you the way it looks today. It looks a little differently in the time of Jesus. All these little sukkahs are littered all around outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And so here they all go. Now it's, it's a really interesting story because Jesus says, I'm not going. But he has to if he's going to obey the Torah. He says, I'm not going, you guys go ahead. So they leave, and then Jesus follows a little bit behind them. Because he's so worried that if, right, the people hear his message, they're going to try to kill him. He's right. But, right, so he's worried about this. So he lets them go ahead, and a few days into the festival, the text tells us, he actually makes his presence known, and he starts teaching. And then it says, on the last and great day of the festival... The great Hosanna, Hosanna Rabbah, right? We know this libation ceremony is taking place. Something audacious happens. Remember, the high priest goes down to the Yihon Spring to get the water, the living water of God, to remind us that it is God who gives water. It is God who is the source of living water that will replenish the earth and therefore replenish our souls. And what does Jesus do in the middle of the liturgy? Who's got John 7, 37? Read it for us, Joel. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. But you've got to be kidding me. This is the next time. Try it. I dare you. Don't, because you'll get stoned. In the middle of, of when your pastor's doing the liturgy of, of communion, and he's saying... This is my body broken for me. I dare you to stand up and say, that's me! Because that's what Jesus is doing right here. 
Because here the high priest is there on the altar saying, look at how God has given us living water. And Jesus stands up in the middle of two and a half million people and he shouts out, if any of you are thirsty, that, that's me. Can you imagine what the people would have been like, don't say about that fella. You gotta get away from that. He's cray cray. But the sentence isn't over. Who's got verse 38? Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus first says, here at the celebration, at the last day of Sukkot, he says, you know what? If you're thirsty, if you're in the desert, if you need to remember that God will always provide, come to me. I am the source of living water. And then he says, and so are you. If you want to understand what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 7, you need to know Sukkot. Because it's there that we're reminded of our mission. It's our mission to do the exact same thing. Of remembrance that are happening here. To remember how God has provided. And then God says, now you go and provide it. You go do it. The world is going to know of my faithfulness, my provision, my hospitality, my love, my care. How I keep you as the apple of my eye. I'm going to do all of that for you. So you can do it for them. My question is, is everything in this seriously? I didn't hand this one out, but what's the next story in John? And then, the teachers of the law have captured a woman who was caught. Caught in adultery. And take him to Jesus and says, let's see if we can trap this guy. So the law of Moses commands that we are stoned, what do you say? What does Jesus do? He starts drawing in the sand. And he stands up and he says, if any of you are without sin, throw the first stone. And then he goes back and starts writing the sand again. It's like, what is this guy doing? And one by one, starting with the oldest, they put the rocks down until no one is left. And Jesus stands up and he says to them, who's left? And through tears, I promise you, she says, no one. She says, then neither do I. Condemn me, but go. Leave this life of sin. You're choosing chaos. Don't choose chaos. It's a question of thirstiness. Who's thirsty in the story? That's the point of it. It's asking us who's thirsty. What well are you going to? Not only the woman, but all of us standing there with stones to throw. It's a thirstiness question. And am I going to be living water? Or not? You want something else cool? Just a side note, FYI. 
we also asked, like, you know, what's he writing? You want to know what he wrote? Do you know what he wrote? I didn't give him the scripture, but I'll give it to you now. Taylor's going to read it for us. Because she's my former student, and she's stuck with things like that. And... Uh -huh. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. He wrote their names. You want to trap me? You have forsaken the well of living water. So he's writing their names, because that's what Jeremiah says he's going to do. He writes their names in the dust. Because it's a question of, are you thirsty? You don't understand the story until you understand Sukkot. So we wanted our students unequivocally to get to know the story of Scripture that Jesus knows so well that Jesus teaches and do, that Jesus shows up to, and that we can still live today if we drink from the well of living water. What questions do you have for Sheila or myself? Those were uh, from John, I'm sorry, John 7 uh, or 37, 38, if you want to get those scriptures down. That was from Jeremiah 17, 13. Demon. My question would be, speaking for myself, what are you doing in suite two? You should be on the stage. P.S. <laughs> 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 this is the uh, bit.ly, uh, bit.ly slash CEA Sukkot 2019. In some weird thing, Sukkot CEA or CEA Sukkot, those bit.ly accounts were already taken. <laughs> so we had to add the 2019. So, um, so that will get you to this slideshow. I thought maybe one of your questions might be who cleans up. So that's why I put that picture there. We did. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Do you have questions? Yeah. How long was this whole process? Well, we started planning with our team, the adults, um, probably the third or fourth week of school. And then we actually did the celebration probably starting in November. But it took quite a, it was our first time doing it, so we just had to really work through all of the details. Um, who was going to get the cardboard, you know. So that, it took a while to like plan it. Um, but then last year, we, it was our second year doing it, it went much easier. And then this year, I imagine it would go a little bit smoother yet. But now we're considering possibly changing when we celebrate. I mean, there's, so there's questions like once we've gotten into it a little bit, different questions arise. So we're just, but it, it gets easier the longer you go. With my students, I started a couple weeks before we actually celebrated and worked through each of the pieces and then gave their script home so they could practice reading with expression. I mean, so it took a little bit of effort. Worth it though, it was totally worth it. You had a question? Yeah, so each kid was presenting on like one of the six characteristics, but like what did they have, like did they have to research something? Did you just give them something? Um, no, we pretty, well we taught the lessons and then we, in their family group, we gave them the script. And that is actually linked in this, this presentation. It was like 
slide six or seven, right around there, you can actually click on that and see what we gave the kids. Because, and you might not like what we did and tweak it, but that also would give you a good idea of what we taught in the classroom too, in the, like a nutshell, because it was the script of what we wanted the kids to teach out with. But we actually gave it to them. I mean, we made them think it was sort of their idea, but I pretty much gave it to them. <laughs> I, as they were making their posters, I let them like guided their thinking, met with them in small groups, but it was me. <laughs> Oh, and on the posters, um, like, okay, so let's say it was the poster on trust. We had a picture of a suka in there, or we had manna. The kids made all this manna on the ground, or water from a rock, or the cloud by day, and the, oh, yeah, you can sort of see. Um, see over here, there's the cloud. How do I get that pointer? The cloud is, or they eat, they sleep, they play, they trust God for the provision. Eat, sleep, pray. I mean, they're just teaching about um, I don't even know what he's saying. I think they're singing songs to God for Thanksgiving. It's written um, in Hebrew. You have to read it from uh, right to left. <laughs> yeah. But over here in prayer, um, God provided the rain. We want him to do it again. You've done this in the past, God. Help us again. So, I mean, we teach about all those big ideas, and then that's what was reflected. On the prayer one, it shows the parts of the lulav. So, all right. Great question, guys. Let me pray for us. Father, establish the work of our hands. May we drink from your son, Jesus, the source of living water, that we might be living water to our students, families, and a world that is desperately in need of you. In our Messiah's name, amen. 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 Thanks for coming. Thank you all.